The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. And, and that is very much, very, very much what we're thinking about this week, isn't it? In preparation of celebration of Thanksgiving, uh, as we are the Sunday before our Thanksgiving holiday, uh, wanted to reflect with you on that theme of thankfulness, uh, except I also want to acknowledge the fact that uh, chances are your Thanksgiving will not look as it has in the past. And uh, whether you do so willingly, whether you do so uh, spitefully, or perhaps with some hesitation, chances are all of us will be experiencing a Thanksgiving uh, unlike others in the past. And I, I just want to recognize that in our souls we are a bit weary about that. Uh, because the same thing was true of our Easter, wasn't it? And back then we thought, surely uh, a number of weeks and we'll be through this season of life. And just speaking very uh, straightforwardly to you uh, as your pastor, it's sorrowful, isn't it? That we're here again, uh, that you're uh, having fellowship together with us, but through a screen and that the pews are largely empty. And yet, and yet, the call to be thankful the call to worship God are in many respects even more true and necessary than they have ever been to keep us from being swallowed up with a sense of frustration and despair and discouragement. And so thankfulness, thankfulness will be uh, the remedy of medicine that we need in this season to keep us uh, focused on where we need to be focused on. So, I'd like to invite you to open your copy of the Scriptures with me to the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Leviticus and chapter 23. Uh, as you work your way through the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus is where you'll find us. Leviticus and chapter 23. And we're really going to be looking at, towards the back of chapter 23. Uh, you'll notice that chapter 23 is a little bit long. I'll be just giving a quick overview of the chapter, but we're really focusing on verses 33 to 34 this morning as we consider this theme of thankful in the wilderness. Thankful in the wilderness. So if you've got your copy of the Scriptures ready, uh, let me pray and ask God's blessing upon His Word as we hear it together. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we pause now to say again that You are our God, that we are Your people, and that we are Your people who identify with the history of redemption throughout the Bible. As we think about the people of Israel, Lord, wandering in the wilderness, needing daily manna from You to be encouraged, to have the strength to press on. Lord, I pray now that on this Lord's Day, you would give to us indeed our daily bread. And that that would be not just a physical supply, but rather the spiritual nourishment that we need to press on. And so, Lord, in this daily bread that you have given us this morning in the Scriptures, I pray, feed us by your Spirit, and so nourish us. Reveal to us your Son Jesus in the midst of this text, and so help us to fix our eyes upon Him. And as your Spirit illuminates our ears to give understanding, our minds to apprehend spiritual truth. I pray also that your Spirit might so warm our hearts to the truths of your Word and to your Gospel 
that we might be transformed. And so, Lord, we pray. Bless the reading and hearing and proclamation of your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, let us hear together the word of God from Leviticus, chapter 23 at verse 33 through the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its proper day, besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your freewill offerings which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths, for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So let us keep our Bible open uh, here in Leviticus 23. Uh, and we will also be turning to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. So uh, just in case you wanted to mark that out ahead of time, uh, know that we'll be headed there eventually. But let me, let me give you a, a quick overview of what's happening in this chapter of Leviticus 23. Because I, I know in, in many ways uh, the book of Leviticus can seem somewhat inaccessible. And yet the big picture of what's happening in the book of Leviticus is that God is teaching His people, Israel whom he has delivered out of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery, how he longs to be worshipped by them, his redeemed people. The book of Leviticus is all about the worship of God. But specifically here in chapter 23, what we learn is that God gave Israel a pattern of yearly feasting and celebration to commemorate his salvation. They had a calendar much like you and I have a calendar that has marked out portions and days of celebrations. Now, our calendar looks a little bit different than their calendar, but nevertheless, the point of having a calendar was to build into their lives the pattern of worship and thankfulness. Now, the most fundamental part of this calendar that God gave Israel was, of course, the weekly Sabbath, where on the Sabbath they would rest and worship, and just like you and I have the same, on Sunday, the day of Christ's resurrection, the Lord's Day, a pattern of rest and worship, one day in seven to commemorate God's 
salvation. But in between the whole year, in between the week-to-week calendar, there is month-by-month observations of particular fasts. And chapter 23 is the overarching chapter that explains the yearly calendar of Israel's worship with respect to their special feasts or festivals, as they were often called. So, you can find it in Leviticus 23. If you're interested, you can also find it in Deuteronomy 16. But let me just give you a quick overview of this chapter and just point out how this works. You'll notice very early on in chapter 23 that verse 3 is all about the Sabbath, which is again the weekly festival of worship and rest. But it goes on to speak of other annual festivals and feastings of celebration. So, in verses 4 through 8, you have instructions about the Passover, which is that meal that Israel celebrated on the night that God delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt, that they were told to continue to observe, and that the church continues to observe in the New Covenant, not as Yahweh's Passover, but as Jesus' Last Supper, but it's the same connection. Also, in verses 9 through 14, you have instructions pertaining to the feast of the first fruits or the celebration of the harvest. Then in verses 15 through 22, you have the feast of weeks. And then verses 23 to 25, the feast of trumpets, verse 26 to 32, the day of atonement, uh, which is the annual uh, commemoration of sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And then finally, in our text that we're focusing on this morning, you have this so called feast of booths. Uh, Some other Bibles might also say the Feast of Tabernacles, which is how the King James Bible originally translated the Hebrew word that gives us this word, booth. So you could hear it as the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Feast of Sukkoth. Now, you and I don't celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, Booth, Sukkoth, right? We don't celebrate that. But uh, as we prepare our hearts for Thanksgiving... I want to tell you that I think that there are some significant spiritual lessons that God still has for His people, the church, in our generation that we can learn from days past when Israel was instructed to celebrate the Feast of Booths and for some very particular reasons. So, uh, you and I have some lessons to learn here, and I would like to point them out. But But just generally speaking, as we think about this particular Feast of Booths, it literally means the Feast of Ingathering. So it's another uh, harvest and agricultural-focused feast. In verse 35, you'll notice that it is a holy convocation, and that idea of holy convocation is repeated a few times in the text, which is uh, an instruction that this is one of the feasts that would require Israelites from all over the land to travel to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And so the Holy Convocation is the gathering of all of Israel to worship. And and if you remember from this spring and summer when we studied the Psalms of Ascents, those were the tunes that they would sing on the way to worship God at the temple on these Holy Convocations. So if you remember some of those Psalms of Ascents, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Israelite pilgrims would be singing that song on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Booths. In verse 39, you'll see that it takes place in the fall, on the 15th day of the seventh month. And the way the Jewish calendar works, that could be either September or October, depending on the year. But it's the fall festival. 
much like we think of Thanksgiving, of course, as uh, the culmination of the fall season, the, the turning and demarcation point in preparation for wintertime and the celebration of Advent. Verse 39, the emphasis was, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, it's a harvest celebration, the work is done, the grain has been gathered in, the grapes have been gathered and pressed and prepared for next year. But the, the key distinctive feature of this so-called Feast of Booths is, is unknown until you get to verse 42 when it makes sense why this is called, this harvest celebration is called the Feast of Booths. Look again at verse 42 with me. The Lord says, You shall dwell in booths for seven days. And what that means is that the citizens of Jerusalem, both the ones that, that lived there and the ones that were there temporarily as a part of the Holy Convocation who have come, they would set up in permanent temporary dwellings. For residents of Jerusalem, they would build it on the roof of their home. They would make a tent out of this material that Leviticus explains. And if you were a traveler, you obviously didn't have residence and so you needed somewhere to stay. You would construct this temporary dwelling called a booth or a, a tabernacle, a Sukkoth. And you would live inside that temporary structure for the whole week as you went to worship and present your offerings. And uh, you and I maybe can't, can't quite fathom the celebration quite like that. It would be like you coming to church coming to worship on the Lord's Day, and then going out in the parking lot, pitching a tent, and coming back every single day through a whole week until you get to the next Lord's Day, and then you go home. That would be an equivalent pattern. Now, we don't do that, uh, obviously, and I'm not necessarily inviting you to do that in any sense whatsoever. But I want to I ask, what is it that you and I can learn from this to write our hearts, perhaps, for Thanksgiving? And here's the, here's, the, here's the big point that I want to communicate to us, that you and I are called to live with thanksgiving in this transient world. You and I are called to live with thanksgiving in this transient world. We see that in these two ways. First of all, that we are called to live with thankfulness. Again, as Israel completed their agricultural year, thankfulness was on the mind. Thankfulness for God's providence and thankful for His mercy. Thankful for this year's provision, but the celebration of booths would also be appropriate not just for giving thanks for the previous harvest, but for anticipating the Lord's kindness over the winter and spring rainy seasons so there could yet be another harvest next year. As we think of finishing up one year, the mind automatically goes to the next. The fields have to be prepared for next year's crop. And so even as we culminate one year, we think of the next. And the Booth's Festival has that present before the Israelite people. Lord, we are thankful for the mercy of the, the food that you have given to us. And we know that if we are to have food next year, it will only be because of your kindness as it was true this year. That mindset of thankfulness, living under mercy of God, living under His care and living under His compassion. And of course, it commemorates the, the remembrance of the deliverance from Egypt. And that is really the big point of emphasis here and the explanation for these booths. Again, in verse 42, you shall dwell in booths. Imagine the city of Jerusalem filled with all these temporary dwellings uh, looking like a uh, an old Hooverville all over Jerusalem. 
that reference, uh, that reference has any historical meaning for you. All these temporary structures all over the great city of Jerusalem. Why these temporary tents? Why these impermanent dwellings? And it's for this reason. Uh, the command to forego perfectly fine accommodations for these temporary shelters was for the purpose of reminding the people of Israel from where they have come and through what the Lord has delivered them. It calls back the story of their deliverance from Egypt when they had to what, wander through the wilderness and live in tents as they were on the way to the promised land. But it, it brings back that sense of transient, temporary, impermanent dwellings because we're on the way to something else. And that's what these represented. During that time, the wilderness travel, the temporary shelters were vivid pictures that this present state that we exist in is not our final dwelling. It's our temporary dwelling. But they were on the way to their place of rest as God promised them. And even in the midst of the wilderness, the Lord wanted His people to know that they lacked nothing as long as they were the people of God. That He would care for them. That even in the midst of their humble dwellings, God would provide for them. He would care for them. He would shelter them as He had in the deliverance from Egypt. And He would lead them into the promised land of Canaan. But... Even once they reach Canaan, even once they cross the River Jordan and reach the Promised Land, the instruction to build those same tents that our wandering forefathers used to live in, when we have a perfectly fine house now, that instruction to commemorate again the impermanent dwellings of the wandering generation is to tell Israel that yes, you have made it thus far, but you are still on the way. You are still a, a wandering and pilgrim people. You're still making your journey forward toward the greater promise of rest and salvation, which is where we get this emphasis of the Feast of Booths communicating to the people of God that this world is transient, impermanent, temporal, not final. And so the Feast of Booths is to tell the people of God to remember to live with thankfulness in this transient world. And again, I want to set this before us, set it before our hearts and our minds in preparation for our Thanksgiving season, because the Festival of Booths that God has commanded Israel to celebrate, He has not commanded us to celebrate it, but... He has commanded us to look back, as the Apostle Paul tells us, that the Old Testament was written for our instruction and the church learns important lessons as it looks back. So what can you and I learn about the Feast of Booths as we celebrate Thanksgiving this year in 2020? Well, the same two lessons. One, that you are called to be thankful. You are called to be thankful for daily bread, for ordinary providence, for the mercy of your salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, the washing away of all of your dead and trespasses, and a thousand other things that's supposed to fill your list of gratitude when someone asks you, for what are you thankful for this year? I hope you have something. Because in that way of demonstrating gratitude and thankfulness, you will, as a Christian believer, uniquely stick out in a time when everybody's complaining. And you say, I'm thankful. The Lord's been good 
as the word of Psalm 136 says, His steadfast love endures forever. And in what ways have you seen the steadfast love of the Lord revealed in your life, even in the midst of this present day, in such a way that you have a reason to be thankful? Thankfulness is the orientation of the heart of the Christian believer because it emphasizes the point that the Apostle Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 4-7. What is it that you have that you haven't first received? Everything you have, everything, is because God has given it to you. And in many ways, by secondary causation, you have worked for it, you have earned it, it has been granted to you for one thing or another, but ultimately, the Apostle Paul says, everything you have is because God has given it to you. In the words of Jesus' half-brother James, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father in heaven. And to Him we are to be thankful. We are to show our praise and our gratitude and our thankful hearts given to the Lord in worship. So Christian, worship God with thankfulness. But also, worship God with thankfulness in the midst of this transient world. This transient world. This is the lesson I think we need most of all. The Israelites would leave again their perfectly comfortable and suitable homes to sleep on their rooftops in temporary shelters intentionally to remove themselves from the patterns of life that were causing them to forget that they were still pilgrim people and they were still on the way. God didn't want them to get too comfortable. Now again, I'm not calling you to pitch your tent in the sanctuary parking lot for the next seven days, but I am suggesting to us that I think the church is being invited to learn some of these lessons again when we have become so accustomed to our comfort and our patterns of life, we must remember that we exist daily under the mercy of God who is leading us in the midst of this present wilderness to our permanent home. That theme of wandering through the wilderness didn't stop in the Old Testament. It's still a present theme as the church, the people of God, makes their way following our King to that kingdom which He has prepared for us. And that's where we get what Hebrews 11 is speaking about. So I'd like to encourage you to come with me into the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. This idea of impermanence, this idea of traveling as a pilgrim, living in a tent, is pervasive through the Scriptures. It's so important. And the writer of Hebrews, specifically in chapter 11, let's look at verse 9. Uh, Chapter 11 is that great, as we often call it, Hall of Faith chapter, where we remember the faith of our forefathers. But look at Hebrews 11, 9 with me. By faith, he, that is Abraham, went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Do you see it there? Living in tents. With Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Do you remember as we studied the life of Abraham, his whole life, he never had a permanent home. Lived in a tent. Not the type of camping tent that you and I think of. But nevertheless, an impermanent dwelling to communicate to him, Abraham, You're on the way to more, to a city, as Hebrews 11.10 says, that has foundations, meaning it is permanent, it is immovable, it lasts forever because it's eternal. 
Hebrews is saying, remember them. Remember them. And then tells us, as we look at Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Loved ones, I know weariness and faint-heartedness is upon you. Because it's upon me. And yet, uh, the Bible is saying to us, do not succumb to that. But instead, fix your eyes on Jesus to realize that He is leading you as the Lord has led the Israelites through the wilderness to the promised land. We are called to live in the midst of this world bearing witness to the greater reality of the kingdom of God as pilgrim people. And normally when you hear that word, you associate it with thanksgiving, you think about early colonists, but it is a description for the people of God in Old and New Testament, a pilgrim people sojourning on the way to our true home. And here's the point in the midst of all of this. It's as if we're living in the hardship of the wilderness when times are tough and we have to settle deeply into our hearts the conviction that the sojourn is worth it, that the traveling is worth it. Can you imagine, can you imagine if the pilgrims halfway across the Atlantic just said, you know what, forget it. Let's go back. Let's turn this Mayflower around and go back to Holland not forging ahead, but it's in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the journey, being called to live with thankfulness in a transient world that calls us to press forward. When you and I settle in our hearts that God is calling us to press forward, even when we're scared, even when we're uncertain, even when we struggle with doubt, we are to stay our hearts upon the Lord's faithfulness who has said, I am with you, I will be with you all the way. Because that's what the pilgrims had to do. It wouldn't be Thanksgiving without thinking about them. Those early settlers called separatists. Uh, they were pilgrim separatists, religious separatists in the 17th century. The forefathers of colonial Presbyterianism and the seed of the Reformed Church in America. The first national day of thanks, as it were, celebrated in 1607. But then the first Reformed Church tradition celebrated in 1623, where they de declared that a day of gratitude was necessary. A day of gratitude was necessary after what was left of their withered and tattered crops left them just enough. This is, this is the way it was written in 1623. One person wrote in his journal, one colonist, Our corn did prove well, and God be praised. We were able to spare some, and our barley was fair, but our peas were not worth gathering, for we feared that we sowed them too late. And the sun parched them in the blossom. And so with minimal crops to support the colony, facing down the incoming harsh winter, uh, Edward Winslow continues and he writes this. He says, It is not always plentiful, but yet by the goodness of God, 
we are far from want. It is not always plentiful, but by the goodness of God, we are far from want. Meaning it's not easy. It's often hard. And the hardship threatens to undo us, but God is faithful and we will press on. Dear friends, are you learning that? Are you learning that? In the midst of frustration, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of angst, all the rest, are you learning to trust the Lord in the midst of seasons when it might not be all well yet? We can say it is well with my soul. As the governor of the Plymouth Colony, William Bradford, said it this way, We have noted these things so that you might see their worth and not negligently lose what your fathers have obtained with so much hardship. The hard lessons that the previous generations have learned are there to teach us. The people of Israel, Plymouth separatists, colonists, the pilgrims, and you and I. Because we look back on history often forgetting that we are presently enacting our own history. That in this age we are being called to cling to the same truth that was taught to the wilderness generation that was believed by the pilgrims and is now presented to you and I so that in future ages to come others will look upon the anchor of our hopes and find that we have chosen to live with thankfulness in the midst of this transient world, setting our hopes upon the eternal and triune God, that we will worship God with thankfulness as Israel did in the wilderness, as the pilgrims did on the shores of the new world, and as you and I continue to do in our day, choosing to live with thankfulness in this transient world. People of God, steady your hearts. All is well. Let us Praise our God. Let us pray. O Lord, we give you our hearts again in thankful praise for the multitudes of your mercies, the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of the gospel, and the daily supply of bread that we need to press on. And so, O Lord, go with us, go ahead of us, be behind us to protect. And in all these things, May we give you the due praise you so rightly deserve, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.